Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, let's dive in. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 34 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back. Feel free to grab one of those. That is our gift to you. And as we continue our verse-by-verse study of, of Matthew's gospel here, let me review from last week. Because we studied really the stories of two people. It's interesting that Jairus and this unnamed woman, we don't know her name, two entirely and totally opposite people, they, they meet at the feet of Jesus. Jairus was a, a well-known, wealthy, religious man. The woman, she was anonymous, and she was poor, and she was diseased. She was a Gentile woman. He, he was a synagogue leader. She worshipped man-made pagan idols. Uh, Jairus' daughter had been healthy for 12 years. The woman, the hemorrhaging woman, had been sick for 12 years. And as diverse as these two people are, they, they have several things in common. At first, they came to Jesus because of their desperation. They were desperate. They could not fix their problems on their own. They were both scared. I mean, Jairus, he lost his girl, his little girl, 12-year-old girl. The hemorrhaging woman, she was probably scared for the, the 12 years. She was probably depressed, probably thinking about death a lot and a lot of pain. Brings us to key point number one from last week. We talked about how death changes everything. Death changes everything. Sooner or later, we're going to have to come to terms that we're not living forever. We are, we are going to die, and those around us are also going to die. And the sooner the better, I think, if we think about death and we, we really consider what's getting ready to happen. But the reality is most of us don't think about death because we don't like to think about death. And if we don't, usually uh, when tragedy strikes, we don't handle that well. Key point number two from last week. We learn that interruptions are divine opportunities to build our faith. So, for example, when the hemorrhaging woman interrupted Jesus, Jairus probably didn't handle that well, did he? He's like, come on, Jesus, we, gotta, uh, we don't have time for her, right? We got to walk faster. But Jesus, excuse me, Jairus didn't need to walk faster. He needed more faith. The Lord does the same thing with our schedules, our interruptions to our schedule, we tend to think that these people and these problems, that they're just getting in the way of what needs to get done. Um, what's really happening there is that the Lord is building spiritual muscle in us. Um, he's using these things and these folks to grow us up, to build our own faith in Him. Key point number three, we learn that faith itself does not do the healing. Faith itself does not do the healing, God does. 
God does the healing. See, God chooses who he will heal and who he, who he won't. We're going to talk more about that today uh, because we have a lot of prosperity preachers saying the opposite. We learned that the hemorrhaging woman wasn't healed by her faith. She was healed by the sovereignty of God. Just like everybody else, the sovereignty of God. Genesis 15, 6, this is not anything new. We, we learn this from Abram. Before Abram was Abraham, Abram believed the Lord. He believed him. And it was counted to him righteous. Why? Because of his faith. This, this hemorrhaging woman also, I think, believed the most famous verse before John ever penned it. John 3, 16. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son that everyone who, once again, believes in him will not perish but have eternal, have eternal life. The interesting thing about all this faith stuff is that faith is a gift, isn't it? Faith is a gift from the Lord. And then we ended last week by discussing this Latin term called memento mori. Momento mori, remember death. We are to remember death. So it's true that we're all going to die someday. It's also true that Jesus never performed a fu funeral service, did he? He never conducted a funeral service in the Gospels. When he went to a funeral service, he just resurrected people from the dead. <laughs> it's the coolest thing ever. So he resurrected people from the dead. He himself was resurrected. And spiritually speaking, Jesus will do the same for you. That is, if you believe. You too can pass from death to life. Now, we've been studying for the past several months, miracle after miracle after miracle in, in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Uh, today, Matthew provides two more miracles for us to, to witness and, and study. The interesting thing about these miracles today is that Matt, he only, he's the only writer who talks about them. The other gospel writers don't. So these particular miracles, they, they don't have any details. We don't know a whole lot about them. Um, Matthew, he's like a reporter here. He only reports the facts. So one of the questions that we got to ask is why... Why are these miracles different? What's Matthew trying to tell us here? And the short answer is that Matthew, he, he wants us to focus on the response to the miracles rather than the miracles themselves. So Matthew is not downplaying the miracles because, I mean, after all, a miracle is a miracle. This is not normal what Jesus does. If it were normal, these would be normicals, right? There's no such thing as normal. They're miracles. Uh, but at the end of the story here, we're going to see two things. Number one, how the crowd responds to all of these miracles. And number two, how the Pharisees respond, the religious leaders of the day. Who's right and who's wrong? And then more importantly for us, how do we respond? How do we respond to the Lord's uh, passage today? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Matthew 
And if you would, please read with me. The, the verses are on the screen, starting in verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out, and they spread the news about him throughout that whole area. Just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. Dear friends, these are the very words from the Lord. They are inspired, they are infallible, they are authoritative in our lives, and I pray that we hear them as such this morning. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Lord, we want to thank you for that certainty. We want to praise you for the promises that you give to us in Scripture. Thank you that you've written down all of this in a book that we can read from cover to cover over and over so that we can be certain that we will indeed see your goodness. Thank you that this is not as good as it gets. You promise that there is a land of the living. There is so much brokenness around us. There is so much pain. And Father, we pray that the brokenness and the pain drives us into your arms. The things that we've got in the back of our minds this morning, the things that are on our shoulders, the things that are weighing us down, Lord, I pray that uh, we would lay all of these things at your feet as you teach us your, your sacred scriptures this morning. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. All right, let's take a look here at verse 27. So as Jesus went on from there, so if you remember last week from there, Jairus just resurrected, um, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus just resurrected Jairus' daughter. So went on from Jairus' home, two blind men followed him, followed Jesus, and they're calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. So Matthew introduces us to two blind men this morning. Obviously, they've heard about Jesus's healing miracles. Just to back up for a moment here in the Old Testament, God's people were to be compassionate to those who were blind and deaf. Leviticus chapter 19 says, do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Why would the Lord remind us that? Why would he tell his people that? Well, we're to fear the Lord because blindness and deafness could strike us at any moment as well. 
We may have good health today, may not be good tomorrow. Y'all know things can change just like that. And throughout the pages of, of sacred scripture here, much is said about blindness and deafness and hearing and speaking. Let me give you a couple examples. Moses had a speech impediment. He stuttered. And when God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery, Moses didn't want to go. He actually gets into an argument with God. Exodus 4. So they're arguing, and, and the Lord God Almighty says this to Moses. He says, hey, Moses, I'm just curious. Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not me? Is it not I, the Lord? Isn't that good? The Lord is sovereign. The psalmist writes in Psalm 146, he says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Most of us know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I want you to think about the Sodomites that were knocking on Lot's door. They were getting ready to do something very, very wicked, and they were struck with blindness. Genesis chapter 19. Or you can think of the Syrians who were attacking God's people. Elisha prayed in 2 Kings 6, he said, please strike this nation with blindness. Why? Because they were also getting, some, getting ready to do something very, very wicked. So the Lord struck them with blindness, according to Elisha's word or his prayer. Or you can think of Samson and, and how the Philistines gouged out his eyes. And he died blind. Samson. You talk about a guy who's made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. His life, his fruit of his life is, is exactly that. He died blind. So it's interesting to note here as we look at all, this, all these things from the Old Testament on blindness and, and deafness. Um, it's interesting that out of all the miracles... There's not one single instance where a prophet healed a blind man. But you fast forward to the Gospels, and blindness is the number one miracle that Jesus performs. Why is that? Well, blindness, obviously, is pretty common in the first century. Uh, secondly, healing the blind is prophetic from the Old Testament. Healing the blind was proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. How do we know this? Well, let's look at just one passage, Isaiah. He says, Isaiah 29, 18, he's in that day. So in the Messiah's day, the deaf will hear the words and read from a book. The blind will see through the, the gloom and the darkness. Be strong and do not fear for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and he will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will also leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. So the Old Testament promised a savior and it's in the New Testament where the savior is revealed. Uh, but you know what? Even God's most faithful men, women, they've got doubts about Jesus' miracles. 
You find it interesting here that John the baptizer, even, even he had doubts. He was thrown in prison. So when you're in prison, you've got lots of time to think. And maybe, just maybe, uh, John, he starts to doubt what he said about Jesus. So as John starts to doubt his calling and his ministry, in Matthew 11, we see this. John heard um, what the Christ was doing. He sent a message through his disciples, and they asked him, Are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? So in other words, Jesus, am I wrong about you? Jesus replied in verse 4, he says, no, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. What do you hear and what do you see? You see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy, they are cleansed, they are healed. The deaf hear, guys, the dead are raised and the poor are told the good news. Verse 6, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So in other words, John, no, you're not wrong. I am the Messiah. So back to verse 27, two blind men followed Jesus. Now, how is this possible? From a practical standpoint, you know, Jesus told a parable one day. He said, can the, can the blind guide the blind? It's a rhetorical question. No, they're going to fall into a pit. So how are these blind men following Jesus? Well, picture it. They've got to be hanging on to one another. Someone probably is leading them as well. Um, I find this amazing that, that God somehow overpowers our weaknesses and our disabilities when we seek him first. Because spiritually speaking, it's like God does something supernatural when we choose to follow Jesus. It's kind of like a, a spiritual GPS. The prophet Isaiah says this. I want you to notice in this passage on the screen how many times the Lord says, I will. He says, I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths that they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them. And I will not abandon them. How much work did the blind person do in that passage? Not a thing. The Lord does all of it. The psalmist writes, by means of your light, we see light. The Apostle John starts off his gospel. He says, the one who is the true light, the one who is the true light, he gives light to everybody. He was coming into the world. So here we've got two blind men. Somehow, someway, they're following Jesus. What do they do next? So they're not only following Jesus, verse 27, they're calling out. And they're, and they're saying, have mercy on us, son of David. These men are, are continually calling out. It wasn't just one time. They're, they're yelling at Jesus. They were shouting. That's, that's the picture here. They were screaming at Jesus. Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, I don't know. I think that may be kind of rude. People screaming at Jesus like that. Why would they do that? Why are they yelling? Why are they screaming? Well, 
I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing that the crowd is, is large and the crowds are loud. So Jesus probably has a bigger crowd following him now, seeing that just a few moments ago, he just resurrected Jairus' daughter. So people are following Jesus. They're calling out, verse 27, have mercy, have mercy on us. So these men are begging for pity. They're, be they're begging for compassion. They're asking Jesus to show them some leniency, some sympathy. They're asking Jesus to show compassion because their lives are so miserable. These men are, are, are beggars, and they're begging Jesus for divine favor here. In other words, Jesus, have mercy on me, have pity on me, have compassion on us. Not just my body. Yes, I want to see, but my soul too. Now, how do we know that? Well, verse 27 again. He says, have mercy on us, son of David. This is the first time in Matthew's gospel that we see that title, son of David. Now, Jesus has lots of titles. He's got over 150 titles in scripture. And titles are very, very important because they describe who a person is. Now, this title, the son of David, is very significant. These blind men are sending a signal to Jesus. They want Jesus to know that they know something that the crowd doesn't. Because our gospel writer here, Matthew, opens the gospel this way. Matthew 1.1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Huh, what a coincidence. Don't you love all the coincidences in Scripture? I love coincidences. And we say, son of David, so what? What's the big deal? Well, the Jews recognize this as a messianic title. So in other words, the, the blind men told Jesus that they knew that he was their savior using this title. Son of David, most common Jewish title for the Messiah. It's a royal title. So these men know somehow, some way that Jesus is the king of kings and he's the savior of the world. Now, please note this. Jesus didn't stop them from using it. He accepts the title. Now, this is fascinating. Verse 28. When Jesus entered the house, the blind men approached him. Now, that's very interesting to me because Jesus basically ignored these men the entire time he's walking back to the house, which is probably Peter's house. He just ignored them. Normally, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he usually stops. He addresses the need. So why would Jesus do that? Could have been a test. He, could, he may be testing them and testing their determination. Do you guys really want this? Um, Jesus did the same thing last week with Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman. He tested them, right? Both, both Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman, they were desperate. Desperate people are determined. How determined are you? So verse 28, Jesus gets into the house and he says to them, do you believe that I can do this? Now, this question is, is strange. It, it almost seems cruel. Because despite being blind, these two guys somehow managed to follow Jesus for, I don't know, we, we don't know how, how many miles through the crowd. 
They've got all these obstacles in front of them. They're, they're working their way through the crowd. They finally get to Jesus, and Jesus asks basically this question. Do you believe me? Do you believe in me? Do you guys trust me? Do you have faith in me? So his question, what's it do? It draws out a public confession, doesn't it? In verse 28, they said to him, yes, Lord. We do. We do believe you. We do believe in you. We have our faith in you. We do. Somehow, some way, they knew that he is the one true living God. Now that, that term there, yes, Lord, that, that should sound familiar to us. Romans 10.9, the Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, yes, Lord, that's what they did. They confessed it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and here we go, if you believe, if you believe in your heart, what? God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved physically and saved spiritually. That's sozo there. So I think it's pretty ironic here that although these two men are physically blind, they, they've got a much clearer vision than most people in the crowd. Irony is pretty thick at this moment. Because these two blind men are the first to see both Jesus' royalty as a king and his fulfillment as the savior of the world. Verse 29. So they say, yes, Lord, we do believe you. We believe in you. So what's Jesus do? He's so compassionate here. He touches their eyes. And he says, let it be done for you according to your faith. Now, we all know that Jesus performs miracles, but I want you to notice here how he performs them and how he continually performs them because he doesn't do it like today's so-called faith healers. He doesn't do it like the prosperity preachers on YouTube and television. Jesus does the opposite, doesn't he? He ignores them in public and he addresses them in private. Jesus doesn't gather people and jump around and, you know, put on some type of song and dance in this performance. Jesus doesn't work the crowd into a frenzy. He doesn't do that. Jesus continually moves away from the crowds. Now, I also want you to notice here what Jesus healed. Jesus healed people from leprosy, demon possession, right? He cast out the demons, he, he healed the lame. He healed paralysis, blindness, deafness. He just raised a little girl from the dead. Now, I want you to compare that to what's going on today with these, these faith healers. I've seen the videos. They're healing sprained ankles and runny noses. And evidently, there's this epidemic of one leg being longer than the other. I don't, I, I don't get that one. But that's what they're healing. Verse 29, Jesus says, let it be done for you according to your faith. So we discussed last week, Jesus makes it clear that faith is not necessary for him to heal someone physically. He does that all the time. Most of the time, Jesus healed regardless of someone's faith. Last week, perfect example, exhibit A, right? He raised... Jairus' daughter from the dead. How much faith did she have? Zero. She's dead. 
She's got no faith. Y'all with me? All right. Zero faith. Um, however, faith is always involved in salvation. Faith is always involved. You have to believe. John 3.16, Romans 9.10. You have to believe. Whenever, whenever God chooses, he calls, he chooses, we respond, he moves someone from death to life. Our faith is involved in that. What I do want you to notice here is that Jesus, when Jesus says according to your faith, that does not mean in proportion to your faith. And proportion is what the prosperity preachers are selling. Right? So in other words, it doesn't matter that Jesus, um, it doesn't mean that Jesus heals their eyesight a little if they have just a little bit of faith. That's not what's going on here. And it also doesn't mean the other thing. It doesn't mean if somebody has a lot of faith, they're going to get 20-20 vision. Jesus' miracles are, are not quid pro quo, right? That, in other words, you've got so much faith, now you're going to have so much sight. That's not what's happening here. Because Jesus is not some type of spiritual ophthalmologist. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is king. And he's the savior. So in other words, Jesus' miracles, they are just so much bigger than a person's faith. So we see Jesus here. He has mercy. He has pity. He has compassion on these men. Verse 30, what happens? Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Now, we don't know if these men were born blind. We don't know if they, they had their sight and they lost it. But, I, I mean, can you imagine what's happening right now at this moment for these two men? Jesus heals them, and they are looking into the face of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord God Almighty. That's who they get to see. And I picture them jumping up and down. I knew it. I knew it. And maybe they hug Jesus. And maybe they fall down and they worship Jesus. Oh, it's just unbelievable. These two guys are staring at the face of God. I mean, just amazing. And then Jesus does something strange. He says, be sure that you don't tell anybody. <laughs> the text says Jesus warned them sternly. Once, once, once again, it's this idea of repetition. All right, guys, I'm serious about this. I don't want you to tell anybody. But why? Don't worry about it. I don't want you to tell, but how? How can I not tell my mom and my, I don't want, don't worry about it. He warned them sternly. So it's not a suggestion. Two things to consider here as to why. Number one, Jesus doesn't want his true identity revealed. Um, Jesus knew that people would focus too much on the physical miracles rather than his saving message. We do the same thing today, don't we? We tend to focus more on the gifts than the giver. So if too many people, 
If they keep coming to Jesus only for the miracles, guess what? That's going to keep Jesus from keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is for Jesus to teach and to preach. See, his, his teaching and his preaching were primary elements of the ministry. Key point number one for us today, Jesus performed miracles so that people would believe his gospel message. It's not the other way around. Jesus performed miracles so that people would believe his gospel message. In other words, his teaching and his preaching were verified by the miracles. Because the scribes and the Pharisees, what? When they taught, what happened? Nothing. That's why they were so jealous of Jesus. The second reason that Jesus probably told these men to zip it is that Rome had zero tolerance for other people who called themselves a king. So from, from Rome's perspective, there, there is no king but Caesar. And when Rome found out somebody was calling themselves a king, they, they eliminated that threat. They were very good at that. So Jesus knew that the Israelites, they were looking for a deliverer, yes. Um, but Jesus would not be forced to do something ahead of his father's plan. He was always in the father's will. Now here's the amazing thing with this. If the Jews had recognized Jesus as the Messiah, then Jesus wouldn't have been crucified by the Jews. He would have been crucified by the Romans, Regardless, Jesus came to die the first time for the salvation of everyone who believes his gospel message. But once again, it's only in the Father's timing. So Jesus tells these two men, all right, guys, look, zip, mum's the word. Got it? Got it. What do they do? Verse 31, they did exactly what they were told. Is that what your Bible says? Okay, let me check my translation here. Ah, they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole area. They did the exact opposite of what their Lord just said. So, just like a baby Christian, uh, their obedience does not match their faith. So what do they do? They just go tell everybody. Verse 32. So just as these men are going out, they just can't wait to tell people, uh, a demon-possessed man comes in, and he was unable to speak. Uh, verse 33, when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute, he spoke. Now, once again, we don't know anything. We, we know that Jesus cast out the demon. We don't know how. Matthew's focus here, once again, is on the response so let's look at the response. The crowds were amazed, saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So the, the, the picture here is that the crowds are more than astounded. They are amazed beyond amazement. And we think to ourselves, well, that's good. That's good that they're amazed. Well, good, but not good enough. Because the miracles, once again, the purpose of Jesus' miracles is so that we see the miracles and we believe that the kingdom of God has come to earth. We are to believe. 
And we see time and time again how fickle crowds are in the first century, right? Crowds seem to always be astonished. Sometimes they're afraid, but they are rarely, if, if ever, committed to believe. I mean, isn't that interesting? After Jesus feeds the 5,000, what happens? Everybody starts following him, right? I mean, who wouldn't? We're talking free food. This is free social security. Not only that, but it's the best fish and chips you will ever eat. I'm just guessing. Jesus says this in John 6. He goes, look, guys, quit following me around. I I tell you the truth here. You want me because I fed you, not because you understand the signs. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man, that I, the Son of Man, can give you. That's what Jesus says. So in verse 33, the crowds were amazed and they were saying this. They were saying this. So the the crowd, they're speaking about Jesus. They're not believing, they're speaking about Jesus. But the Pharisees here, they've got another perspective. The crowd was speaking about Jesus. Now the Pharisees are speaking against Jesus. So we see the, the tension and the buildup here over the last couple chapters. We see that the Pharisees' hatred of Jesus builds because, well, you know, he forgives sin. He's eating with sinners. Um, with Jairus' daughter, the Pharisees were probably there laughing at Jesus when he, when he said that she's just asleep. But here in verse 34, they do the worst thing of all. Pharisees said. What'd they say? Well, if today's passage, if it were a movie, we would start to hear that dark, ominous music begin to play. Kind of reminds me of Genesis 3. Same kind of music. Now, the serpent. What the Pharisees say next is the most wicked thing anyone could ever say. These guys don't marvel. They don't believe. Keep in mind, they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They've seen all these things with their own eyes. Healing the lepers. Healing the lame, the the blind men, the deaf, demon-possessed. And after being a a witness, an eyewitness to everything, the Pharisees said, well, he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So these men, they they could not deny the miracles themselves. So what'd they do? They chose to reject the true source of the miracle itself. And the reason that this statement is the most wicked thing a person could ever say is because they contribute the supernatural works of Almighty God to Satan. This issue is going to come up again. It's a statement that was common among the Pharisees. So Jesus is going to deal with it in Matthew chapter 12 when he teaches on the, what's called the unpardonable sin, uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when Jesus deals with that, by the way, it's a game changer for Israel. Because we're talking about blindness today, but what Jesus does, he blinds the eyes of the Pharisees. And this is, this is fascinating because 
He blinds their eyes so much to the truth that they couldn't believe even if they wanted to. It's fascinating. Jesus also changes his, his teaching strategy there in Matthew 12 as well, uh, as well. He starts to teach in parables. He teaches in a purposeful way so people will not understand what he's talking about. Amazing. So today's passage deals with not with miracles, but our response to miracles. And once again, the reason for miracles is to validate what, what Jesus is saying is true. This gospel is true. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am God in flesh. So Matthew, he sets us up. He gives us 10 miracles in a row, more than 10, to prove that Jesus is God. And it's almost like as we have gone through this over the past couple months, it's like Jesus says, all right, what do you guys need to see? What do you need me as God to do so that you're going to believe? Do you want me to heal the blind? Check. How about heal the deaf? Got that too. Cast out demons? No problem. Heal the leper? How about raise the dead? Bam. I mean, what else could you possibly need to believe? I don't know, what about Jesus being murdered for crimes he didn't commit and then walking out of his own grave three days later? How about that one? Oh, yeah. Check. Got that, too. So Jesus has proved himself time and time again. The question for us this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe it? Do you believe him? And if not, what's keeping you from believing? What is it? I pray that you do some business with the Lord this week and ask him that question. If you do believe, what are you going to do with it? You've just experienced God's, God's word verse by verse. And if you're a part of the church, if you're a Christian, dear friend, you are to go out and share Jesus day by day. Next week, we see a significant shift in the book of Matthew. Jesus basically fires the Pharisees. The 12 tribes of Israel, you're done, fired. We're going to call in the replacement teams. We got plan B. Uh, and we're going to meet plan B. We've kind of sort of met them. Uh, they're called the 12 disciples. They will be the 12 apostles. Have you met these guys? They're fishermen, tax collectors. Oh, it's a motley, motley group of people. Plan B turns into plan A. And by the way, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a part of the church, you're part of that plan A. You're part of the group. And as I look around here, you're a motley looking group of people too. <laughs> I think about this a lot and I'm like, Lord, seriously, this is your plan for the, for the salvation of those in the Verde Valley, like, have you met us? We are a mess. And he says, yeah, I've met you, but you're my mess. You're my mess. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you allow us the privilege to study your word, 
We are so grateful how your spirit meets us where we are. We've learned about all these miracles. I pray, Lord God, that um, for those of us who don't know you, that you would do some business with our hearts today, that you would soften our hearts. And dear friend, if he is doing a miraculous work in your life, please don't harden your heart. Because today is the day of salvation. For those of us who have already responded to you, Lord God, yes, I do pray for these divine disruptions to our lives, for these God intersections in our lives this week. Because we are plan A when it comes to uh, spreading this good news. We are plan A for those that you're calling and that you've called we are plan A when people reach out and they are desperately looking for some kind of hope. Because at the end of the day, we are a gyrus. We, we are a hemorrhaging woman. We, we are the blind men. And by your grace, Lord God, you've given us the answer. You've given us the answer to the hope that lies within us. So thank you, Father. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.